But today we are continuing to look at what it looks like to minister unto the Lord when we come together as the body of Christ. So we'll be looking at 1 Corinthians 14. And it's a subtle change of language that leads to a deep change in practice in many ways. When we come to church, when we gather as the body of Christ, are we here to minister to people? Are we here just to absorb some new teaching or some kind of practice uh, of Christianity? Or are we here for the Lord? You know, when we give financially, are we giving to the church? Or are we primarily thinking we're giving to the Lord? You know, when I'm pastoring you, what does it look like when I prepare sermons, when I do classes? Is it at, unto the Lord I'm ministering? Or am I thinking about just the needs of the people? And the interesting thing about when you shift your focus to honoring the Lord with your life and everything you do, instead of looking at people, instead of looking at structures, because of who God is, the people get taken care of. Because God knows exactly what people need. God's passion and love for individuals in this church goes from the cosmic, their salvation, literally saving them from their sin, to wedding dresses, as we've heard this morning. And there are many, many more stories contained in this body that would knock your socks off. God is all about individuals. But he's also cosmically working out the big picture. We can only focus on one thing at once. I can only focus on one thing at once. <laughs> um, other people have, have the gift of multitasking. But God, if you can believe it, seems to put as much effort into the cosmos and, keep, and holding all things together and the salvation of humankind and justice and all those big things that we look at he takes that same care and attention and places that in individuals as well. Because he's God. Think about the lost sheep parable. Left the 99 sheep to find the one. That's God's heart. Um, that's who God is. So when we come, to come gather as a church, and I've talked about this, we think, how do we minister to the Lord? We're going to end up taking care of people. Well, much better than we are now. And we're going to uh, end up reaching people that don't know Jesus much better, because God's passion for those who are lost is way, way more than ours. And uh, I love the quote from Mother Teresa that she, she went around the streets of Calcutta looking for Christ. Her perspective was seeking Jesus, and she found Jesus in the faces of the people that Jesus loves and wanted to heal. These people who are dying, leprosy, and, and such things as that. So, I want us all to shift our focus when we, come to, when we gather as the church. I'm not even saying come to church anymore. When we gather and assemble as the body of Christ, that we're here to minister to the Lord. So we just, uh, and then everything else is going to get taken care of, quite honestly. I've also talked about shifting away, and I've been shifting myself from, from like I said, going to church. And I've, I've coined this phrase, maybe it's on the internet somewhere, sitting and sunning, you know, taking in the, the, the service. Instead of coming to church, instead of attending church, uh, to gather as the body of Christ. This is something I've talked about. The Bible clearly teaches that when we come together for worship like this, when, we, when, when two or more believers gather in Jesus' name, that we literally form the physical representation of Jesus' body on earth in this place. And that's true of any church gathering of people that know Jesus. Uh, Jesus' body is no longer here. He was crucified. 
he was buried. Three days he rose again. Forty days later he rose again. <laughs> he rose into, into, the, into the heavenly realm and he sent his Holy Spirit into the church to be his representative on earth, his physical representative. And you know, it's, it's, it strikes you as almost a heretical thought. Like, can we say this? Can we say that Christians gathered together as a representative of Jesus' physical presence on earth? Yes, we can, because the Bible teaches it. It's, it's very clear teaching of the Bible, and I preached on that a couple of weeks ago. Um, we are doing much more than we realize when we gather for church. We are forming, becoming the representative body of Jesus on earth. Um, Jesus' body is not here, but we are, and we have his spirit. And when we think about gathering as the church to minister unto the Lord, to form the body of Christ with all of its distinct parts, every single part doing its job put together by Jesus, that's a whole different way to come to church. And again, you don't have to have it all together to do this. I talked about the, our difficulties in worship and distractions and getting kids ready and, and screaming and Nutri-Grain bars and spilled cups of coffee and kids having their heads stuck in chairs. I've talked about how distracting it is to come to worship with four kids. My wife takes care of 97% of that so that I can do what I do because she's awesome. Uh, but for all of us, we don't need to clean ourselves up. We don't need to be, have things in order from an pr- earthly perspective. Uh, certainly. But we do need to come to form the body. That's what's important. That mindset. Ministering to the Lord, forming the body. So, turn to your neighbor. I'm going to make you uncomfortable. And say, you are part of the body of Christ. I love that sound. Now say, together we form his body. Together we form his body. That is the sound of the voice of Jesus Christ. Listen. I'm having fun. Now say, he ministers through us. The ministry of Jesus as prophet, priest, and king continues through these people, believe it or not, so <laughs> that you're sitting next to. It's an amazing thing. I don't want to give you a God complex. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> okay? Some people think they're God, or at least they act like they think they're God. I mean, this is a very humbling thing. First of all, you can't do it alone. You need other people. You need everybody. And it's not your ministry that's going forward. It's the ministry of Jesus Christ going forward when we gather as the body. The ministry of prophet, priest, and king. And it only really works well when we're unified in Christ, when we have this mindset. It's it's, it's hard to believe, but it's the honest truth. Uh, We are the physical representation of Jesus that some of your, your, in your friend group or in your work environment, the closest most of those people will get to Jesus is you. Your warm body with a varying degrees of good or bad attitude at your desk or whatever you do. You might be the only Bible anyone reads or Jesus anyone encounters. You are it. I can't believe God decided to trust us with this. But you don't do it alone the Holy Spirit and the other members of the body uh, joined together. And then finally, last week, we, we talked in light of these new seats that we got. I, I was talking about how the most important seat of all is the mercy seat of God. And that's where God manifested his presence in the tabernacle and in the temple. There was the, in the Holy of Holies, the most holy place, there was a 15 by 15 foot square 
where there was the Ark of the Covenant and then uh, 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 something called the Mercy Seat, which formed the lid on this. And every year, one person, the high priest, came in, sprinkled blood on that Mercy Seat as a representation and as a, as a finger pointing to the atonement that Jesus would ma- later make for our sins. We no longer literally have a mercy seat in our, in our service and our worship practice because we know that from the book of Hebrews that Jesus Christ himself made eternal atonement through his shed blood on the cross and through Jesus' once-for-all sacrifice, his shed blood on that mercy seat in the heavenly realm uh, speaks a better word than that original one ever could. So now, when we confess our sins, God looks at the blood of Jesus he remembers his covenant and he forgives us every time. And we don't have to go through all of this temple and these processes. Uh, but though we have no mercy seat in our worship, this is the place where Jesus' glory, where God's full glory rested on this mercy seat. It was called the Shekinah glory. And it was Shekinah awesome. <laughs> You're welcome. The concept of the manifested presence of God is a heavy concept for me personally because I've seen more things happen under that power and weight in ministry than you could do in a thousand sermons, right? Uh, but literally, that word, Shekinah, means weight, the weight of God's glory. And that is something that I'm willing to go after. We form the body. We all have the Holy Spirit. We represent Jesus. Whether we're putting chairs together, whether we're doing Love Saratoga, gathering for worship in a living room, in a work environment, anywhere, we can manifest Jesus Jesus. But there is this other thing where Jesus is delighted to manifest his presence in this weighty way. And that is what I'm praying for, that we would be a place where God is pleased to dwell and do the work that he wants to do through the body in all of our lives for our good and for his kingdom. So that's a lot. That's all the sermons I've ever preached summarized right here or in the last few weeks. This part is called, What Could Worship Look Like? 1 Corinthians 14. Imagine we had a a community garden with all kinds of plants in it, right? Cucumbers, broccoli, carrots, lettuce without E. coli on it, you know, like all the other lettuce. Throw away your lettuce! Apparently there's a huge E. coli outbreak. But imagine we had this amazing garden, and there was just enough produce in this garden for every family to have exactly what they needed. Every family in the church. So suppose a church member came and volunteered to tend the garden, which we appreciated. Uh, But when the church member attended the garden, he took all the lettuce and all the broccoli for himself and his family. Then there's not any lettuce or broccoli for anybody else. So though this person is serving the church, he's not thinking about the larger community which needs this produce. He's just taking it. Or imagine that you're moving. Some of you, this is recent history, and you invite a big group of people to help you move your house Someone like myself, some kind of schmo with four kids, I'm, I call and I'm like, oh yeah, I can come and help. So when you guys like having pizza, the perfunctory you know, meal that you have to give people when they help you move, oh, we're going to have around 12. We'll be there at like 11.45. Can I bring my kids? You know, <laughs> wife, kids, we all get a good meal and then we, we move a couple boxes and we, oh, we got to leave. We just got a text, we got to leave. Uh, that's a bad feeling, you know, not thinking about the larger thing that's trying to be done, just thinking about yourself. Obviously a terrible thing. Or uh, if you could bear with me, watch this video. My favorite worship video. Keep my eyes above the 
When oceans rise, my soul will rest in your embrace. For I am yours, and you. Wait till it pans out. Wait till it pans out. This is like the best thing ever from the internet. <laughs> Alright, that's good. She's a little... You can, you can skip past it. It's not working anymore. Thank you, thank you. As you can see, she's a little bit shaken by the drum solo that just happened. So now this is a hilarious video. Like I, I'm sure that guy had a good heart and all that stuff, but obviously he's demonstrating his gift or ability and not thinking about the larger body of people he's playing music with. And this is what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians 14. That when we gather for church, we should be thinking about what does the body need? How do I build this thing up? Not just about ourselves. Jesus said, the greatest of you is going to be the servant of all. Give what is inside of you to the poor, and the God who makes the inside and the outside will take care of everything. It's the idea of taking our focus off of people and putting it onto Jesus. We're here for Jesus. The first Corinthians talks about this idea that some people were just showboating, not thinking about the larger body. Before we get into reading this, um, there is a few things mentioned in this passage I wanted to, I wanted to highlight before we read this. Uh, one is it talks about this idea of the gift of tongues or interpretation of tongues. And this is the special ability that God gives to some people in the body of Christ to speak prayer or praise in a language that they've never learned or to communicate a message from God in his presence. And in, the, in Pentecost, people heard the gospel in their own language because people could speak in tongues in languages they did not know. But also, people have this gift to worship God in an unknown tongue an angelic tongue. They speak in tongues as a private prayer language. This is something that happens in the church, and we'll see the Apostle Paul did it more than anybody else, apparently. So that's what that gift is all about. There's the gift of tongues, and then often the person that speaks in tongues can interpret their message, or someone else can interpret that message. Uh, this, the second gift that's mentioned here is prophecy. And this is the special ability God gives to some to proclaim the word of God with clarity, and to apply it fearlessly, with a view to strengthening, encouragement, and comfort for believers in the convincing of unbelievers. And this is what Jay demonstrated today in, in, uh, in sharing a prophetic word. It was meant to be encouraging, strengthening, and comforting, and it came from God for us, dovetailed into the scriptures. It's a timely word from God that brings about God's purposes in someone's life. You could even, God can reveal things to you about a person's situation. Uh, you can see a truth that others are not seeing, and you can point it out. And that's a gift that God gives to the whole church. And many people have a very uh, uncanny way to do this. So those are the two gifts that this passage talks about. And finally, I want you to... I'm going to teach you a word. Oikodomeo. Say it. Oikodomeo. Also good with mustard on a sandwich. But... Uh, Oikodomeo is a word that means edify in the Bible, in the Greek. And this passage talks, and that word means to build from the foundation, to restore by building, 
to rebuild, to repair, to promote growth in Christian wisdom, affection, grace, virtue, holiness, and blessedness. This is the idea of gathering as the church, not being that rogue drummer, not being that horrible gardener, or that terrible moving partner. Instead of seeing what we can consume, seeing what we can build, what we can contribute. And that's what this word means. So as we close out this, this sermon, I just want to read this passage in its entirety with just a little bit of commentary. Paul says, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to the people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be edified. What is he saying here? When someone speaks in tongues in church, it's great for them. But without an interpretation, no one understands what they're saying, so it doesn't strengthen, build up from the foundation, the church. It's not helpful to anyone but that one person. So when someone speaks in tongues, either do it privately or have an interpretation that is beneficial for all. When someone prophesies, they share something that can, that's understood by everybody and is very helpful in that context. Verse 6, Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you, unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the pipe or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you're saying? You'll just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that oikodomeo, build up the church in your public worship. Seek the gifts of God for the purpose of building up the church. For this reason, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. For if I pray in my tongue, in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you are praising God in the spirit, how can someone else who is now put in the position of an inquirer say amen to your thanksgiving, since they do not know what you are saying? You are giving thanks well enough, but no one else is oikodomeo. No one else is edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. So we might think Paul is being tough on the gift of tongues, but he's not. He's just saying, think about what's building the church up and what's helpful. To, to prove how much he loves the gift of tongues, he says, I do it more than anybody. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants. But in your thinking, be adults. In the law, it's written with other tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. But even then, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. 
Tongues then are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues, and an unbeliever or someone who's inquiring of the faith comes in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? Practical concern Paul has here. But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they're convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all, as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so the church may be built up. Then verse 39 says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. So in this passage, the, what it hinges on for me is, is in that verse where it says, brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In other words, don't be thinking about only what is good for you, even if it's a good thing, like speaking in tongues. But instead, think like an adult. Think to yourself, you know, how am I building up Oikodomeo, this body of Christ, with my spiritual gift? How am I sharing with someone who's inquiring of the faith or is curious about the faith, who's an unbeliever who comes into our assembly? How am I sharing with them in a way that they can understand so they can have salvation through Jesus? Think like, stop thinking like children. Children only think of themselves. That's why they ask for so many things after I've already sat down to dinner and we thought we got them everything. Oh, actually, I want lemonade. Oh, I don't like water. I don't. Never mind the fact we cooked this huge meal and we're, we've been working our butts off, but now we have to get up and that's acting like a child. We expect that of children. But when you're an adult, you come to a dinner table and you say, does anyone want some more rice? I can grab that off the counter. Does anyone want a drink? We think about what other people need. We think of what will build up the fellowship that we have. So it's all about building, building up the church. It's about having this adult mindset, which Paul says is doing things for the oikodomeo, the building up and strengthening of the body. So I want, I want to, uh, I'm going to close with some really encouraging points for you just to take home with you. This is good stuff. This church in Corinth was completely out of control. They are nothing like our church, at least not as far as I know. They had some pretty bad sexual immorality happening in their midst, some of which would be even reprehensible to people that didn't know Jesus. So Paul wrote them strong words saying, you know those weird incesty, horrible things are going on? That's not okay. You can't go on approving that. Okay? So there were some, some problems. There was a problem where people were all clamoring to use their spiritual gifts at the same time, like the drummer in the worship music video, thinking only of themselves, not thinking of the body, not thinking of building it up. And 10 people speaking in tongues, no interpretation. 10 people prophesying, trying to shout over each other. It was a disorderly mess. But what I want you to notice is that though this church was in some sin... And though they were in some showing off spiritual mode with their, with their gifts, they, God was still functioning as prophet, priest, and king in that church through the church body there. These people were not cleaned up. They didn't have it together by a long shot. But they had an authentic experience of the gift of prophecy and the gift of tongues. They were having a real worship because of God's grace for them. And Paul does not discourage them, but instead encourages it as long as it's done in order and in peace, like an adult. So they need to clean up their act, and they need to do some more order in their sermons. Um, but 
God was still working and moving despite them being messed up. And that's supposed to be an encouragement for you. Because I know, especially in, it seems like especially in this church, but I think it's in every church, people think that God can't use them until they're cleaned up and ready and doing well. God, God's not going to use my spiritual gift until I have it all together. Until I've got these things figured out, God's not going to use me. I have some sin in my life still that's hanging on. God's not going to use me. That's not true. God will use you while you're still kind of messed up. That's my message to you this morning. God will absolutely use you and flow through you. It doesn't mean that he approves of everything in your life. It just is, that's who God is. He works in people that are imperfect. That's why I can be your pastor. That's not meant to be a joke. Otherwise, how could, what's my business being up here, right? God uses us while we're still kind of messed up, and, and uh, we just have to take care of the things that he reveals to us. So Paul is not pro- prohibiting use of spiritual gift. He's governing their usage so they'll be used in a worship gathering to build the house, Orca de Mayo. He's governing against that rogue worship leader, right? And the, the use of, 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 of spiritual gifts like prophecy and tongues are very outward gifts that everyone can see and hear. Um, I ironically only hear people preaching on this passage in churches where everything is already ordered to death, where everything is not planned down to the minute, but down to the second in a worship service. And everyone is counting down the seconds of each part of their bulletin insert with the order of service, and where everyone sits very still and quietly in pews, facing forward. There's no gift of tongues, no gift of prophecy happening, because the church teaches that those are not gifts of the Spirit anymore, which is incorrect. Um, Those are the churches where everyone's preaching about how we need to do everything in order, ironically. Whereas I think God's word to them would be, you guys need to, you guys need to relax. You need to be open to my Holy Spirit, and you need to start moving in the gift. You need to be a little more disorderly. Slap the dust off that pew and get up on your feet and ask God to give you a spiritual gift to build up the body. That's what God would say to them, and that's what God would say to us. Um, things, we are, we are messy people. We're imperfect. We don't have it all together by any stretch of the imagination. But God is moving among us right now in a, in a special way by his Holy Spirit. And if we come to church, if we gather as the church with an eye to ministering to God, with an eye to becoming uh, the body, joining together and becoming the physical representation of Christ's body on earth, and with this, eye, this adult understanding of we're here to build up this thing, that's going to be a really good environment for us to begin to walk in some of these spiritual gifts because God, there's a whole lot more that God wants to do in the church. And uh, he wants us to be, it says in this passage, seeking spiritual gifts. He wants us to be changing our mindset, thinking about building up. And as we do this, as we figure out how to incorporate these elements into our worship here and to, and to do things in a good orderly way that honors God, and we're going to see a lot more of his activity and movement in this church. That's my firm belief. So, number one, here's what you bring home with you. God uses people before they're holy. Good news for everybody. Everyone should seek God and ask for spiritual gifts and discover what gift God's given them. God's given every believer a gift that's meant to build up the body, not just for yourself, but for the body. And all gifts and behaviors of people gathered for worship must be expressed in a way that builds up the body of Christ. For God is a God of order and peace, but he wants us to let loose a little bit. That's what I would say of this church. I would preach to this church, you know what, church? You need to loosen up a little bit. 
because God has a lot more that he wants to do in us and through us. He has a lot more he wants to do in Saratoga. We're going to close with, with a call and response. Stand up. You are dispersed to the lobby for coffee, or you can stay in here and continue praying and worshiping. But uh, if you are not planning on praying, continuing praying and worshiping, make your way to the lobby, grab some coffee, and we'll be available to pray with you today. God bless you.